Well, welcome to Columbus Business First's Table of Experts on College Preparedness. My name is Nick Fortini. I'm the president and publisher of Columbus Business First, and I welcome you all here. And thank you, Beth, for moderating today's uh, session. Um, in April of this year, U.S. News & World Report published an article citing results from the 2015 National Assessment of Education Progress, also known as the nation's report card. According to that report, only about a third of U.S. high school seniors are prepared for college-level course, coursework in the math and reading levels. Uh, the number of students scoring below a basic level in math increased to 38% in 2015, and for reading, it increased to 28% in 2015. Now, um, where I grew up, um, many kids didn't go to college, and uh, it wasn't a stigma. It wasn't looked down upon. Um, you know, they jumped right into the workforce. They became a civil servant. Uh, they joined the service. They pursued a technical certification uh, in order to get a job in the skilled trades, such as you know, auto mechanics, uh, machine operators, truck drivers, etc. cetera. Uh, yet today, uh, it seems many employers cite their inability to find and keep skilled labor as their biggest constraint in keeping up with demand and growth. So uh, with that, uh, I'll, I'll uh, introduce uh, today's panel. Today we're going to hear from our panel of experts on the topic of college preparedness, vocational education, uh, and what new challenges educators, students, and parents face when it comes to career pathing for their high, high school students. Our moderator for today's discussion is Beth Probst, founder of At The Core, an organization that helps students focus on their strongest personal traits and how to use them to their advantage when choosing a major and targeted career. So again, thank you for being here, Beth. So I'm going to go around the table and ask our panel to uh, introduce themselves, uh, talk a little bit about their background and their organization. And I'll start with you, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck Spielman. I'm the superintendent at Tri-Rivers Career Center. Just started my 10th year there. Uh, we probably are, uh, we have some outstanding uh, programming for uh, high school students and adults. A lot of people, when they think of career centers, they many times think of just the high school programs only. Um, we have some outstanding uh, medical programs. And actually, there's 152, I believe, uh, RN nursing programs in the state of Ohio. And if you look up over the last three years, the number one achieving uh, program is Tri-Rivers Career Adult uh, Vocational Program. Uh, we had 100% graduation this year, 100% uh, passed the exam. On the first try, we had 100% uh, three years ago, and last year we were over 95%. And so we have the highest three-year average. Uh, we're also known for uh, RAMTAC. Uh, we were the uh, starter, uh, started the RAMTAC program at Tri-Rivers, and it has grown to 23 sites around the state. Um, and so we're, uh, you know, RAMTAC stands for Robotics and Advanced Manufacturing. Education Technical Collaborative, which is why we just say RAMTAC. Uh, but uh, we're really excited to be part of the cutting edge uh, in the transformation that's taking place uh, in career and technical education. Great, thank you. Good morning, I'm Kim Wilson, Superintendent at Tolls Career and Technical Center. We're in Plain City, but we serve school districts in Madison County, Franklin County, and Union County. Uh, this is my 13th year I'm starting as superintendent, and prior to that was a teacher and administrator in career technical education for 17 years, and prior to that was a student in career technical education for 
two years. So it certainly has been a, a great pathway for me and prepared me very well. Uh, we are also a Ramtech Center at Tolls, and we also have 22 other career technical programs on our main campus, as well as 18 satellite programs that we operate within our associate school so that students can access career technical education there as well as on our main campus. So we're very proud to be a part of this career technical family in Ohio. Good morning, my name is Kelly Fuller. I'm with Eastland Fairfield Career and Technical Schools. My role at the district is business partnership coordinator. I've been with the district, this is the, my 12th year. This position was created three years ago specifically to address the conversation that needs to happen between the business community and, and the district. So I advocate on behalf of our students, high school, adult, and alumni, helping them make connections for internships, career exploration, hopefully full-time onboarding of a position at some point in, in their uh, tenure with us. My background um, is private sector. I worked for 20 years in the financial services industry, coming to education kind of late in life. Like I said, I've been doing this for 12 years. Uh, prior to this position, worked on the adult workforce side of career tech education. So I feel very strongly and passionately about the opportunities for our adult career tech students as well. Very happy to be here this morning with all of you. Good morning, my name is Steve Dakin and I serve as Superintendent of School and Community Partnerships with Columbus State Community College. Prior to Columbus State, I served as a superintendent at uh, Reynoldsburg City Schools for eight years and then uh, prior to that uh, I had stints in Westerville City Schools at the Ohio Department of Education um, and uh, Elida Local Schools as high school principal and uh, executive director of secondary curriculum instruction. So it uh, just means I can't hold a job. Uh, I've just been around that, that long. But, but uh, uh, entering my 38th year in education, so I've seen a number of things uh, come and go around this. And, and uh, this is a, I'm very privileged and honored to be part of this panel. I know everybody sitting around the table and, and, and uh, they're outstanding educators with a real passion for the work that we do with young people. And so I'm looking forward to the dialogue today. I'm Mary Beth Freeman. I'm superintendent at the Delaware Area Career Center. Uh, I'm starting my ninth year there, uh, 32nd year in education. And I started as actually as a math instructor and uh, then went to a career center over in the Miami Valley area. And when I saw what we did for kids in career tech, um, my, my passion really changed and believed that what we did was we helped kids that felt like they helped they learned because of me, not in spite of me at times. And I just believed in what we did. Um, at the Delaware Area Career Center, we serve the four Delaware County schools. Worthington have quite a few students from Westerville and have students from Ohio School for the Deaf. Um, in addition to some of the traditional programs, we were looking at what are those uh, careers that are forthcoming. We've started an app development class this year. We run the zoo school out at the zoo. We're talking about a cybersecurity class coming in the future. Um, we have bioscience, all kinds of IT and, and health areas that uh, are coming down the path. Trying to be innovative and look at what does research say about students. Um, one of the books that really guided we're in a building project is teaching the digital generation no more cookie cutter high schools. So as we've designed our, our new high school, we're looking at what does that mean for us? How does it look different? And I can tell you our academic area will look very different than what we're used to in the traditional classrooms. So it's exciting to uh, be in career tech at this point in time and a lot going on and we have a lot to offer our kids. Excellent. My name is Beth Probst and I 
also come from the private side. I have a background in information technology, and um, I'm not an educator by trade. I do spend my entire life now um, serving families that have college-bound kids, really supporting them at a time of great complexity. We know things are very different um, as we help our kids transition to college. We just often don't know how they're different. Um, so we really um, work to serve families well. And I'm also personally a big believer in each student understanding all of their options that are available to them in the educational process. Um, I often will comment to families that, you know, back in our day, if we were heading toward college, we would put our heads down and we would just plow through the college preparation um, that was made available by our high school. And I think that's a, you know, one generation later, that's a big difference is now um, early in those high school years, students need and families need to lift up their head and look out at what options are available to them. So um, I'm proud to uh, be serving as moderator today and we'll hop right in. Um, if I can open with a quick statement as well. Um, just very briefly to set the stage for what we'll talk about today. Um, today's students have opportunities and challenges that are far more complex than we did just one generation ago. Technology touches um, life experiences from the cradle through school and into the working world. The cost of college gives everyone pause and makes families analyze the return on investment in a way that we never experienced. Employers need workers who are ready and able and equipped with skills. And the phrase college and career readiness drives many discussions about education today. So we're here um, today to discuss, have a dialogue and shed some light on the key elements of career and college readiness for all parties involved, students, parents, counselors, administration, teachers, and employers. And to paraphrase one of our guests, um, I love this quote, on some level, all students are training for a future career. So. Um, four of our panelists are um, part of career tech education schools, and I remember vocational tech of 30 years ago. I'd like to take a moment examining how it's different today. I think it's, it's something that's not um, super familiar. Sometimes I tell the story of passing by my own career center in my community and, and being um, believing that I understood what happened there, but um, I come to under understand that it's very, very different. Um, so let's dig into that a little bit. Um, what is it, how is it implemented, and how is it different from the education that a student will uh, receive inside their high school? Anyone is welcome to jump in. Uh, let's, let's talk about who does it serve? Who does Career Tech serve today? Well, Beth, I'll jump in on that because when I was a, a vocational student, which is what it was called back in the mid-70s, I was a little bit of an anomaly because while I did enroll in a career technical program, it was my plan to go on to college. Mm -hmm. That student today is not an anomaly. That's the norm. Um, they are getting a head start, as a matter of fact, on that college education through opportunities to earn credits with our post-secondary partners, um, getting real um, industry or clinical experience through their career technical programs. So as opposed to being mutually exclusive, career technical education today really facilitates higher education in many forms. Yeah. So I think that's one major way that we're different. And one of my hopes is that over time we no longer say college and career ready. That we just say career ready. And that students then focus in on what training do they need to accomplish that career. Because the reality was, you know, both my parents uh, actually were married at 15 and 16 
and were uh, got their GED, but they made a great life because they had great uh, manufacturing jobs to go to. Then my mom went back to school, became a cosmetologist. My dad became a real estate agent. They they worked their way, and that was the norm. But they wanted their kids to go to college mm -hmm. because at that time, it was the guarantee to middle class and above. And so they saw that. And right now, it's no longer a financial decision. Um, our electricians, our welders, our machine operators, our robotic technicians make more than a lot of four-year graduates and quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. So it's now a social decision. And that social stigma that we still have of looking at that, even though it's college-level work, because my employers still want someone that can read a technical manual, mm -hmm. can understand, comprehend what it says, can follow directions, work as a team, and problem solve. Those aren't exclusive to college level. That is career training. And so that is the, the passion that I w bring to my students every day. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talked about some of the statistics about how the math and stuff is so low. It's because it doesn't have uh, you know, the technical meaning to students. When you can embed that within career and technical education and they see the purpose and why the math is important and how it's applied, it, the learning takes off. We've seen it in, in you know, uh, students will go to whatever level they need to within that career. And I think that has been the missing component. I think we have discovered it. I think the state looks at it. Now they still want to take and put all college, you know, the Algebra two scores and all this, uh, all those limiting factors and say that this, if you can't do this, uh, you know, then it's not a college pathway. The reality is I know people that own million-dollar companies that don't balance their own checkbook, but they have a unique a skill or passion in a certain area. And that's what I want to get back to so that we're not just limiting kids by test scores and this or that, that we truly have students find their passion, their career, their opportunities, and, and then get, be given the opportunity to, to have that grow. Beth, if I can jump in on that. Um, I think it's time we have to change our conversation. And when you said what students go to the Career Center, I think back when we st first started as vocational education, um, they looked at students' aptitude, they looked at their scores, and they said that kid can't go to college, but, but, and they can't read, and they, have, they struggle with their academics, so we'll send them to the vocational school. That's very different today. And now I think what we have to do is stop identifying kids by aptitude where they should go. I think we have to start looking at identifying the career. The conversation shouldn't be college. The conversation should be career. Identify the career. Build a personal learning plan based around what it is they want to do and look at the career centers as an option of what they may want to do. I think of an example of a young man uh, a couple years ago who wanted to go on to be an engineer and he wanted to go into the auto industry. So he came to our auto tech class where he also uh, rebuilt an engine to use alternative fuels, those types of things, because he wanted that hands-on experience. That gives him leverage, it helps him to springboard his education when he takes that next step. We spend a great deal of time with 15, 16, and 17-year-old students, and we're talking about helping them understand and perhaps even selecting a career at this early age. Um, one of the things we witness is a great 
um, a great career knowledge gap. <laughs> they, they may know, we often joke that they may know what their parents do, sort of. They may know what a favorite aunt or uncle or um, a neighbor does, but they really don't have a great sense of what the working world is like. So what can we do as, as a community to help kids understand so that they can look at opportunities, any opportunity that exists, but especially those in career tech because they are very specific. It's a specific choice. What can we do to prepare kids to be able to make those decisions? If I may, on that back. Please. Um, one of the things that we've done at Eastland Fairfield Career and Technical Schools, about 10 years ago, we created a middle school camp, and this was for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in all of our 16 districts. It's free to those families to come in and pick one, possibly two um, programs that they want to experience for three days by immersion. And it's, it's really a great way to start having a conversation, not only with the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, but their parents, their guidance counselors, their teachers in, in the home schools so that we can start having those conversations earlier and exposing them to what it feels like to be in the lab environment. One of the things that we did about three years ago into this 10-year process was bringing business partners in to talk as well to the students, to the parents when they came in on the last day, and ask them to ask really in-depth in -depth questions and also just questions that would be really important when you're trying to make a decision. How much does this job pay? What does it look like? How does it feel? What kind of work environment would my child be exposed to? Is it safe? Are there opportunities? Are there pathways? And those kinds of conversations, I think, with parents, with community, kind of help start that conversation about what is career tech really about. Um, and to the point about um, college versus career, let's just talk about careers in general and how do we get people there. Uh, every day, our phone rings in my office as the business partnership person with needing welders, CNC machinists, multi-craft technicians, people who have a skill set that are part of the skilled trades. Those are, those are positions that are highly coveted by employers, and we just don't have enough people in the pipeline to fill that need. And I really believe that what we do collectively in career tech helps to promote that and, and to get people engaged early on in the conversation. So I think I'm going to jump in here, if you don't mind. Um, first of all, <clears throat> uh, the opportunities that everybody's just described uh, needs to be expanded to more, more, more students. Um, by definition, there's capacity issues uh, where we're talking about. In my experience in Reynoldsburg, I sent about 120 kids a year, juniors and seniors, to Eastland Fairfield Career Center, but that's out of a student-eligible population of over 1,200. So I'm, I'm sending... 10% of my student body to a career tech center. The real challenge is the reform and transformation of what we call high school. And, and, and frankly, it all should be career tech. Uh, there should not be this false choice that we make in, in high schools that you're either college bound or you're career tech. Mary Beth already alluded to it. It's indeed a false choice. Uh, we know that now. The skill set, the knowledge base required to be successful in, in the world of work um, there's not a difference between the two, being college ready and, and career ready. So the real change, the real transformation needs to happen in our high schools across the country uh, when we think about and rethink what this means for um, education of young people. And that point makes me think of what um, I know what Tolls specifically and what the Delaware Area Career Center have, have well, with what Tolls has done, I think just you maybe, um, to bring the academies into the high schools, the districts that exist within your service area. So, so you are sort of duplicating yourself in those 
in the district? Yeah, I would say we are customizing programs to those districts. A good example is with Dublin City Schools. Um, they were submitting for one of the straight A grants through the State Department of Education, and the city of Dublin actually did a study of workforce needs in Dublin, and IT rose to the top. So as Dublin City Schools wrote their straight A grant, we partnered with them to um, put in place a program at the end of the spectrum at the 11th and 12th grade level for information technology to help to meet those needs. So yes, we have reached out to partner with our associate schools and customize programs that can be offered within those schools to meet local workforce needs. But that really needs to be a two-way street. I mean, frankly, I mean, all these folks have reached out to their home districts, and they do a really nice job of getting information in the hands of parents and students. But, again, uh, schools are political creatures, and they respond to the nature of the community needs. And, and so there's a, a need to really think about how do we ensure that these pathways are available throughout uh, all our schools. Um, and, and that's no small, no small uh, issue to do. Um, I know even in Reynoldsburg, um, I took a traditional 2,000 student high school and converted into four career academies. Um, not easy to do. Uh, this is why I look the way I look. I know it's a podcast, so you can't see me. Um, but, but, uh, uh, but those are the kind of things that we really need to have conversations in our communities about and what, what that experience is for kids. Do you think those needs are different in different parts of our central Ohio community? Absolutely. You know, yes. so you, so how, how are those different? Well, I mean, if you just look at our state, the diversity of our state, you go from south, southeast Ohio to northwest Ohio up to the uh, northeast quarter of the state, and they're very, very different needs. There are very different employment needs in those sectors. And then, then you throw in some challenges around communities and expectations of communities. I know in southeast Ohio, there's, strong, there's a strong cultural norm in those communities for kids to stay in those communities. And so we really, with, with technology and some of the other opportunities that we have, there's no re I always argued it. School's no longer a noun. It's not a place you have to go. It's a verb. It's what you do. And so Mary Beth was talking about reshaping her high school in the digital age. Uh, those opportunities exist, and we can make those available to all kids no matter where they live. So one more quick mechanical question, just because I'm quite certain that some of our audience won't have great familiarity with what career tech looks like today. Um, help me understand how a student's day works in today's career tech options. So if a, if a sophomore was looking at um, the options that were available to him or her, what would that, how do they partake in career tech in their community? And do all Ohio schools have access to career tech today? All students in Ohio do have a uh, career tech planning district that they can go to or a, uh, that is offered right within their high school, comprehensive high school. Um, so it's very different. Uh, with the 49 career centers out there, we're, we're all a little bit different. Some are half-day career centers. Some are full-day career centers. Because we serve three counties at, you know, Marion, Morrow, and Union County, we uh, have a full-day career center because some of our students are uh, on the bus 50 minutes coming in. So let's talk about what it was and what it is now. You know, uh, 25 years ago, they took a, one academic class, class in, uh, in their junior year and one in their senior year, like a world history and an English or math. And then the rest of the day, they were in their career tech program uh, or, or had a lunch or a related period. So everything was, all the other subjects were uh, embedded into the curriculum. Now, every student is required, if you come to uh, Tri-Rivers Career Center, 
you have every single requirement that the students at the home school have. So the same 21 or 22 credit requirement, everything is exactly the same. Um, and so they're not, so right now, uh, that have, for us has gone from, uh, they're in the majority of the day, they're in academics, and they have about a two and a half hour lab period with the, that they're embedded in the hands-on lab. So it's really totally changed. Mm -hmm. um, but it also, I think it's, it, it's an improvement in many ways because, uh, you know, uh, you look at the, the, you know, 1960, 25% of the jobs required a four-year degree or more. But like 50, almost 50% 50 of the jobs you could go right out from with a high school diploma and go to work. That yeah. number has shrunk right. mm -hmm. to 13%. But the four-year degree or more is still at 30%. So the reality is this, almost 60% of our students need training beyond high school, but maybe short of a four-year degree. Why isn't that the focus of, and that's when we're talking about those careers and stuff, everyone says college as a destination. And, you know, Steve's uniquely qualified to talk about this because at Columbus State, how many of their new uh, enrollees already have a four-year degree? Mm -hmm. They just didn't end up with a skill to get a job. Mm -hmm. And that is another back. issue out there. So to get a skill, sometimes students come and you get a hard no. This is not what I thought it was. This is what I don't want. Mm -hmm. Great. You just saved your parents $20,000. Okay. That's awesome. Let's try this. Or let's, you know, and so it puts a student back in mm -hmm. charge. I think as the career centers have had to make that change uh, and meet those needs, one of the biggest problems I see, the local schools have gone to everything just core subject type stuff. They got rid of all the electives. When I went through school, I took metal shop, uh, I took you know architecture, I took all these other hands-on where I applied the knowledge I was learning in the class. Those are gone from our traditional high schools because they're chasing those scores only. Now part of it was tough budgets and are you gonna teach math and English and a language or are you gonna have architecture? You know, so they made some hard choices. That's where I think these partnerships that we're talking about with the career centers, moving those applied programs back in, where students, the student that needs that application to learn that, that uh, knowledge, not everybody is a textbook test learner. And we should value that because that's what makes us, that's what made America great. I, and I don't mean that as a political statement. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Check, is this on? Yeah, no, we, no political we statement. We don't see the button but there. Yep. Absolutely. That is something we need to do again. And really look at allowing students to apply that knowledge. Then, it's, then you really know it. I, I think I am stunned when I look back at over the past generation of how education has changed and what has impacted that. And I think of employers and I think of what drives that process. Um, and I'm excited that there are so many options available to our kids now. I still come back to how do we help our kids make the decisions about what is right for them? How, how do we, so we talked about the middle school program to expose them. Mary Beth, is there something you could share um, perhaps about, about how 
uh, how we as a community can counsel and help our kids understand what might be a good fit for them, what they should try on, what they should consider? I think we have to do more to uh, educate our community and help them to understand um, that what we do is different inside. And going back to, uh, I think many times the community still sees Governor Rhodes when he started the vocational ed, mm -hmm. it was about preparing students for the workforce. And the message we have to get out is we still prepare for the workforce, but the workforce very, is very different. So where we used to teach skills for a lifetime, I think we now have to help people to understand that we're teaching kids to think, to problem solve. Um, an example, and, and again, getting out into the community and with business people, um, I think of a partnership we have with Delco Water, and where we've had students do their branding, we've had students build their website, internships, they've recently done a, um, a uh, video for the Delco Water that's on their website, they've won a student Emmy, but the whole piece was they had to go, they had to visit, they had to figure out what was going on operationally, they had to write their script, they had to work as a team. So there were many, many more things going on than just the actual, um, I bought my skill and I'm going to go out and use it. Um, so I think there are a lot of, of ways when in you, I think the question you're asking is the question actually I think we ask ourselves and I think if we had the answer, we wouldn't be asking the question. But, yeah, um, I, keep, I keep coming back to exposure um, exactly. and, and making sure that they have some ability. Kid, kids that we work with are very tangible, and I, I think sometimes they don't understand how those core classes are going to apply to their life, and so sometimes it's very easy to just slack off or I don't understand how analyzing this character is going to you know, help me in the world. And um, I, I think to help them understand some of the real ways that, that they can participate in the economy and in business, um, that's important. That so, brings us to one other thing I think we absolutely need to talk and about. And then I'm, okay. I've, I've got a question just, just real quick. Can you, can, you, yeah, can you put a pin in that one just real quickly? Steve, um, one thing that Chuck mentioned before was the idea that we have a growing number of jobs that require a degree. And t I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about the Central Ohio Compact and what the, the purpose and the vision of that organization is. Yeah, so thanks. Um, so the Central Ohio Compact really came about um, where a group of college presidents and school superintendents kind of were scratching their head about what, what is our response to the, the economic development plan of the region, Columbus 2020. Um, and we, we originally focused on uh, the issue of college remediation and the fact that so many kids are graduating from high school in need of remediation in college and what a detriment that is to de degree completion and debt, uh, accumulation of debt. Um, but we found out that that wasn't just the, the issue. Um, and so we got together and we, we brought in some folks, uh, national folks from uh, Jobs for the Future out of Boston and, and learned about a, uh, an initiative called Pathways to Prosperity, which is a national network that really does focus on kind of the building of nine through 14 plus pathways in high schools and uh, colleges around the country and, and started filling ourselves with that and did some research and found out Illumina Foundation's been doing some data around that. And Chuck already mentioned it, that, that something like 64% of the jobs by 2025 are gonna acquire something more than a high school diploma, but something less than a bachelor's degree. And we asked ourselves, so what's our response to that? Um, and so we just borrowed on, on their on the research and established uh, a goal for the region. Um, and, and this was done in a series of summits that uh, Columbus State hosted uh, going back to 
to May of 2011, um, and we landed on the goal of 60% of our adults having a post-secondary credential of value um, by 2025. And Six, that 60% by 2025 is right. The goal. And as a region right now, we're about 42%. Um, and we define the region; it's the region that we align to 2020. Um, and and uh, so we have some work to do. Some of our regions, some of our counties are, are very high. Delaware, for example, is close to 60% now. Um, but then we have other counties that are they're in the 30% range. And so we're, we're looking at that and we're, we're, we're trying to speculate, well, so what would the region look like if we had 60% of our adults who had a post-secondary credential of value? And I keep using the phrase of value because it can be a certificate, an industry recognized, it can be a degree, it can be a four-year degree, and, and, and so on. But that, so we kind of rallied around that particular uh, uh, regional goal is kind of the, the mantra to, to start dialogue in, in the region. And since then, we've, we've had some gradual improvement. Our remediation rate actually has um, decreased. Uh, it's, it's down to t see, 32% now, um, and it was at 48% at one time. Uh, we have 24% uh, of our kids are earning college credit while they're in high school. Um, and again, thanks to legislation with College Credit Plus, and I can talk about that a little bit later. But but so, so then we quickly get into if, if certificate or, or credential acquisition is the new goal, how do we get kids there? Um, and, and so and we can't not do that. And you raised the issue early on, Beth, with the notion of affordability. Um, and increasingly, college is unaffordable um, for a, a growing percentage of kids. 52.9% of, 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 of students um, finish uh, or do not finish a bachelor's degree or pursuing a ba uh, pursuit of bachelor's degree but do not finish after 60 years uh, after six years 31 million adults have some college but no degree mm -hmm. uh, 1.3 trillion in college debt um, in the country uh, so we have a, in the we worst have a crisis the, the worst case scenario are those that went to college and do took not, on the debt and, and the, didn't attain right. anything that's right in that I mean that's that's like this the double whammy right there. In so. Ohio, unfortunately, this is a place that we don't want to be, but Ohio is 45th in the country in college affordability. So we're one of the most expensive states to acquire a post-secondary credential. Um, I, we have some solutions uh, to those things. Well, I'm um, hoping you're going to talk about College Credit Plus because that, that's will. the one that pops into my mind, you know, as a parent of a high school junior. Um, it has, it's, and another high school junior, Nick, mm -hmm. um, it's a, a program that uh, families may or may not have heard about. Um, there are, are mandates that our districts need to inform right. parents, but as you know, as Nick knows, anyone with a parent, there is so much noise out there Lots that we parents receive and we don't always know what to pay attention to. So if you had a, a minute to, to pitch the um, concept of College Credit Plus and the impact potentially on families, um, positively in a financial sure. way and other ways. Okay. Um, I'm going to pitch the value proposition of the associate degree as well. Um, Please. Because I, I think to the earlier point that's been made uh, on two separate occasions already this morning, the value proposition of associate degree is there. I mean, it's affordable and it's a credential that brings value to the workplace. Um, college Credit Plus affords students the opportunity to access college coursework free, free of charge, um, uh, beginning in grade seven. And if they demonstrate college readiness, then they can access college coursework. Um, what we're doing, and we were, the college was very, uh, um, we were blessed to be able to secure some opportunities to bring these to scale across central Ohio. The college recently received an $11.5 million innovation 
innovation and in, uh, uh, I3 grant, um, investing in innovation grant uh, from the United States Department of Education, which is focusing on seven school districts in Franklin County who represent the highest percentage of families who are economically disadvantaged. These are historically families who do not access college. Um, and we want to reverse that. So I'll give you an example of an outcome there. In five years, we want to have 90% uh, of the students who attend those 16 high schools in those seven school districts graduate with some form of college credit and or industry credential uh, after uh, at high school, uh, high school graduation. It's a lofty goal. We're at 6% now. So it's a very lofty goal. College Credit Plus provides a foundation for families to access college coursework in an affordable way. Uh, but it, right now, and I have to say this about the legislation, it stops short, in my opinion, it stops short um, of reaching the very demographic that I'm talking about. Uh, right now, it's what, serving Why kids. is that? Well, right now, it's because there's, there's huge challenges. Not enough kids in high school are demonstrating that they're ready for college. They're not able to demonstrate the readiness requirements that's demonstrated in the ACT, for example, or in the case of Columbus State, we have a compass test that if they don't pass the ACT at a certain level, we can take the compass Let's test. Let's take a quick minute and describe that because a lot of families are familiar with the ACT and they may not know, understand what it means um, to be to attain that college readiness benchmark. Um, I believe the numbers are uh, on the ACT test. It's a 22 on the math and a 22 on the reading, and an 18 on the English portion. So, yeah, I think you're so, right on that. so for any for anyone in the audience that's listening, they need to understand w what that means to be career ready. So right. you're saying or college ready. So you're saying that many of the students in that population that you're trying to reach are not attaining that benchmark, right. and that of course is the entry, the the doorway to participating sure. in college. Well, particularly for the socioeconomic and demographic makeup that I'm talking about. Right. Um, there's a huge percentage of kids not reaching that, that particular level. Right now, College Credit Plus is serving those kids who are at that level, mm -hmm. and it's a great affordability piece for uh, those kids and their families, um, but it's a small percentage. I'll give you an example. At Columbus State, we're serving about 2,600 students roughly out of uh, 35 school districts, 60 high schools. Um, in College Credit Plus, just a small percentage of the population of, of all the, in the aggregate. Right, right. So we're not really getting there yet. Now, having said that, one of the reasons we got the I-3 grant is to figure out what are those supports that, what is that infrastructure necessary in these high schools and at the college to better support the likelihood that more kids are going to be, demonstrate college readiness. So we're looking at things like early alert systems. We're looking at things like boot camps for, for reading and, 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 and mathematics. We're looking forward to changing how instructional practices are done in high schools. Um, we're working with uh, partners like Jobs for the Future and uh, the ESC of, uh, uh, Educational Service Center of Central Ohio and in the many districts to think about how do we change instructional practices in the high school. So there's a number of things we're looking at to figure out what are those supports. We're also partnering with many nonprofits in the region that provide supports to families, uh, social, emotional, behavioral support to families. So we can, in the end, if you're worried about your next meal, if you're worried about what's going home at home, if you can't get those barriers out of the way, you're not going to do well and on the academic side of that. So this is a real huge investment by USDOE, uh, and that, that follows two investments made by um, some uh, private uh, opportunities in Ohio. So J.P. Morgan Chase also gave the college a $2.5 million grant to help build the 
the infrastructure around the central for the Central Ohio Compact. And American Electric Power stepped up and gave five million dollars to focus on nine to fourteen STEM pathways in Columbus City Schools specifically uh, over the last couple of years, and we're working on that. And we just got a Joyce grant that's uh, focused on. But I want to come back to something you said earlier about how do you bring these things to life. So in the Joyce grant, there's a deliverable around work-based learning, um, which is an a way to say getting kids exposed to the workplace earlier, mm -hmm. starting in middle school with career awareness, what's out there, all middle school students, not just some. Um, and then there's a continuum of opportunities all the way through high school through college, everything from job shadowing to employers coming in and talking to schools to internships to co-ops. All those get kids exposed to the workplace. Honda has been a great partner. Kim can attest to this, and I know um, Chuck can also. Has been a real partner in understanding this is kind of a, a talent management supply chain for them as they think about how they think differently about recruiting and their HR practices, identifying talent early, and, and, and being able to and have kids have their own self-discovery of what trips their trigger. Um, it's not usually sitting down for an Algebra two math test. Um, shocking enough, um, but it's really understanding. Go out to Honda and see what they're doing. That's that's high-level robotics. You know, that's not your father's uh, manufacturing worksite anymore. I'm I'm so glad you shifted to the employer. That's exactly where I was going to go next. Um, I stated at the beginning a, a quote that I really liked about um, that all on some level all students are are training for a future career, and they are the employers are are who receives the product of any educational process. They they are brought in, and the more ready that student who is now an employee is to enter that workforce, not only with um, with the actual skills, but also the soft skills. You know, those those are critical things for us to be considering. And I, I want to go back and, and understand and kind of talk about, maybe hear from each of you, about your relationships. And, and Kelly, I'm going to start with you because that's your job, is every day to answer calls and to communicate with employers. How does that relationship work between Eastland Fairfield and um, your your way, your method of serving your customers, which are the employers in your community? Um, so we have, like what everyone else here at the table has, advisory committees that meet formally twice a year that are made up of practitioners in the industries that support the different labs. So again, in the spring and the fall, they get together as a group formally and talk about trends in the industry, what we should be preparing for. Are the students that are coming out of our programs ready to go at work? Um, a huge part of what our students get is that work-based learning piece, actually out being employed with um, a, a cooperating company. This and is during their education, this Kelly. This is during their education. And what, what, where would we see that in their education? Is it one of the very last things that happens for them? Is it in a senior year? Senior is year, it in, a, in, in lieu of going to that lab after the academic piece happens in the morning? best case scenario really for us, the student, the employer, the community, is to get that student placed at a, a place of business where they're putting into practice what they've learned in the lab, what they've learned um, with the soft skills. We do a 21st century piece, which is, again, how to communicate effectively, um, how to problem solve. I think it was Mary Beth that was talking about um, kind of going in and being able to use critical thinking skills. Oftentimes employers engage us with um, a project, project-based learning. That's a wonderful way for them to be a part of a company, whether it's a large company like Honda or a small, um, you know, a small company like an insurance company that's owned can, by a family. Can you give a particular tangible example of that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to imagine sure. what would be a project that would come across the desk 
um, of, of your organization right. and, and the kids would be right. um, guided to complete that? What would it look like? So we've had a couple. Um, one, we were approached by a lo- local municipality to partner with our welding and pre-engineering students to look at redoing a bridge in the community because the bridge was in disrepair. So the municipality said, let's reach out to Eastland Fairfield and see if the kids could come in, work with the engineer, work with the Parks and Rec Department, go take pictures, kind of come back. And they did that and then opened it up to, we have an architecture program at our Clark Hall campus in Gahanna. So those students came in. That one um, didn't go on to fruition for some cost cost considerations. But another one, um, again, for pre-engineering, we had a local company that designs very large forms for building infrastructure and highways. And they came to our pre-engineering class and said, do you have a senior that we could talk to that might be a, a good person to put on our team? And she then was able to go in, look at the drawings, be able to participate in the conversation about how do we create these new molds. It was a wonderful story. She ended up getting the position. They worked on the project successfully. Um, She is a first-generation American and first person in her family to go beyond the high school level. So she then went on to Columbus State to work, um, and her employer is paying for her to continue her education. So those are like some best-case scenarios that, that we can that we can offer. But I really love the idea of the project-based and the work-based learning. It gives them that opportunity to practice what they've been learning in the classroom. Comes back, comes back to the word tangible. I, I think, again, a lot of times, um, you know, I have students, I think often they don't understand how what they're doing applies to the world. That is a, a direct application. If I, um, oh, so if I could jump in on there, we have the zoo school, and our kids go to the zoo every single day. That's where their classroom is. They work with the docents, they work with the people at the zoo, and they do research. A lot of the research at the zoo folks don't have time. Several years ago, I'm thinking of a situation where one of the students had done a lot of work on the pink flamingos, and there was something going on with the pink flamingos, and they came back to our student and said, you know, you've done more research here, know more about pink flamingos than anybody. Here's what's happening. What do you think? And that student, based on the research that she had done, was able to give them information about probably what was going on with the pink flamingos. So those are the kind of experiences that when I was in school sitting in my math and science classes or biology classes, would never have had an opportunity to apply those, uh, that knowledge that I had learned. And it's not just the knowledge piece, it's the critical thinking and what's going on because ne- never uh, do two scenarios look alike. So I think we've all done a great job. Everyone has discussed and, and um, validated the value of early career experiences in whatever form they take for our students. Um, When I think, though, about my peer parents and their perception of, so we have to talk about the stigma um, because it's out there, it's real. Anytime you you talk to a parent who understands that their child is is heading to college. They're, they're of the, so Chuck, I, I, I've heard, heard the message that we need to get them to focus on career and then it, work backward from there, right? What, what education do I need to get there? Many parents are not thinking that quite yet. They're thinking um, solely on my child will be heading to college at all costs. Um, what can we do though about this stigma of bringing some of those early career experiences? We, we all have, have, have talked about the value, everyone, understands that value. How do we overcome, though, what what we experience when that child goes home and says, I want to go do this program, or I want to participate in this special thing inside my high school, and their parent says, no, um, your job is to take 
AP, AP, IB? How, how, what well, do we do there? I think you just mentioned, or we just talked about a group that can be key partners with us in that education process. And I think we have parallel challenges. Obviously, we need to um, recruit and identify students and get them excited about our programs. But I'm glad you brought up the adults that we need to work with because we do actually have an educational challenge sometimes with our own employers in the region. They don't always know what we offer, the caliber of programs that we have, and the caliber of students that we have. So when we get them to the table, get them into our labs, get them into our programs, and most importantly, introduce them to our students, we have them on board. And then they can be a wonderful partner for us in educating our parents. Um, often we find it's the mother in the household who drives that decision the most right. for potential students, so we really target them. No offense to the, the fathers in the room, but mothers really do do impact that decision. I was going to say that's the only decision? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I won't go there. But, you know, we also have, and it hasn't come up yet, our own staff, and I think it's our own staff in our comprehensive school districts, traditional school districts, even somewhat in our own career centers. If you think about it, most students in K through 12 are surrounded by adults who went the traditional path of high school to a four-year degree in education into the classroom. Some have industry experience. I think we're fortunate in career tech that the majority of our lab teachers have industry experience. But these students are surrounded by those adults who understandably know one pathway to success. So we have to do a lot of educating with our own staff, our own counselors in the career centers, but also in our associate schools. Um, but again, our best allies in educating those adults are the business partners that we have who can talk to them about the tremendous opportunities in business and industry and how career technical education can open those doors. And these aren't dead-end careers. We have a young man who went through our engineering program, is now at Columbus State doing very well. He's working for a local manufacturer, and I think he's in, what, the mid to high 80s right yep. now in, in salary. Debt-free? Yes, absolutely. So there's a success story that more of our parents need to know about, more of our own traditional staff in our associate schools and our buildings need to know about. We have I, lots of those stories. I would hope that those stories, I, I think, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the mom population. I'm, I'm a mom, and one of, um, one of the key ways that we share messages is via social media. And I think that those stories oftentimes will resonate and sometimes can kind of catch fire in that way um, and, and open the minds of, of those parents that you're trying to reach. So I heard you say educating um, folks within the school district sometimes who may have an, an old mindset and then also um, making sure to bring people to see the center. Those are the two ways. Okay, so cost came up again. Um, and I'm, I'm watching our time, and I know um, we need to shift our discussion to cost because no, no, um, no uh, conversation about college and career readiness would be complete without discussing cost. Uh, the cost of college is, is truly gas-producing. I, I do a program called Tips for the College Bound, and, and I put up, um, I come right out of the gate and I talk about the cost of college. And I put up what college costs for me. Uh, 25 years ago at, at Purdue University, it was about $6,000 a year. 
and that same year for an in-state student and that same year today at Purdue is about $24,000 a year. So, um, and that uh, makes families very uncomfortable. They are often, they know it's different, but they don't know how different. And then of course, dad usually starts calculating, well, that's times four. And to Steve's point, Five or six, usually. Less than half of all students that begin at a four-year institution finish a four-year degree yeah. in four years, right. um, which also I, I believe I usually have to pick them up off the floor at that point, you know, because they that those, these are shocking statistics. So we've talked about so many excellent things here today. I need to have you all tie that back to cost. What does this mean to families? How can... How can what your organization offers, the programs that exist, how can that make a real difference to families in what they pay for college if it's what they um, their child chooses? So one of one of the things that we're we're doing through again through the I three initiative um, in those seven districts um, is that part of our college advising. We have embedded college advisors. That's one of the intervention that we're doing um, in in our schools. And we're challenging our advisors to have those conversations with every family. Just lay out the math. That's all we're asking you to do. We're not trying to suggest that, you, that Columbus State should be the right place for you, for example. It's not right for everybody. Um, but what we want them to do is make an informed decision about what it is. And I'll give you an example. So we have an uh, articulation agreement with nine universities in the region, four-year universities in the region. It's called Preferred Pathways. Yep. Um, and so if you if you leave Columbus State with an associate degree, you are guaranteed admission as a junior in those four-year universities. So you graduate, let's talk OSU, uh, you graduate with Ohio State diploma in four years um, at about a third to um, almost half the cost, about 40, between 40 and 46 percent at a reduction, a reduction of your, your cost over four years if you do that pathway. Obviously, we're, we're advocating for that kind of legislation also, a 2 plus 2, a 3 plus 1 legislation. Uh, language is in the governor's budget right now around 3 plus 1. Um, we like to see 2 plus 2. I must have missed so something. What that, so, so the that, legislation, it exists today. The ability there's, language, to do that. there's language in the proposed biennium budget coming up around 3 plus 1. Um, which allows, for example, we have a relationship with Franklin University where in some programs kids can take coursework for Franklin for three years at Columbus State at Columbus State tuition and then go Franklin to complete their bachelor's degree. Got it. Um, that's a real affordable way to earn a bachelor's degree. Two plus two would be another one. In fact, we're even suggesting that we, we'd like to see the legislature incentivize four universities to enter into these agreements across the state, not just here in central Ohio, but across the state because that is a real affordable way for a student to acquire a bachelor's degree. If I want to go back to the other piece, and that is the 75% of kids who are not going to get a bachelor's degree. That's a national statistic. We know that. 50% of kids on the average graduate from high school, go on and attempt a four-year degree, but only 25% of those students graduate with a, with a four-year degree. So we have 75% of the population that's doing something. And, and so that's, that's the real target that we're, we're focused on at Columbus State because we think that's the one that's going to move the needle in addition to the adult population because we haven't talked about adults much here, um, but we got over a million adults that don't have a high school diploma and over the age of 25 or older don't have a high school diploma. And so that's another end. So if we're going to really move the needle on any of this, we have to take care of both ends of the continuum. Um, but so there's some other policy pieces, too, you know, because all these things, I, I opened up with, with this statement earlier, 
these folks are doing fantastic things in their career centers. And, and, and now I have to say that's not universal across the state. These are folks who are outliers, who are visionaries, who, who, who establish these kinds of programs. But we've got to bring it to scale. We've got to find a way to get that 75% in this pipeline to do that. So there's some things we can do around policy. Um, and I, I'm just going to name a couple. Chuck mentioned it. The K-12 accountability system rewards districts who focus on academics over other kinds of opportunities. So the measures that are identified in the current report card, for example, are overwhelmingly test-related academic measures. There's a place for that. I just don't think it should be 75% of all the indicators. So how else, how else can we measure the non-academic? I'm sure that's the we, challenge. Well, we, well, it's a challenge. It's not an insurmountable challenge. Um, it's more of a political challenge than I think it's anything else. Um, we, we started down the path with prepared for success indicators. So the number of kids graduating from high school with an industry credential, for example. There's no reason why kids can't code. I mean, why, why wouldn't we suggest coding could be another? We could approach coding like we approach foreign language in schools, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be a transferable skill for the most part across the industry sectors. So those are the kinds of mindsets we need to think about. I'm sorry to get on my high horse about that, but I just I feel pretty strongly that we're just not giving kids the opportunities that they need to be exposed to. So that's an, a way to do that. I also think funding matters. Um, you know, colleges now are under performance-based funding. It has changed the conversation at Columbus State in the two years I've been there. Um, people are suddenly going, okay, we're about completion now. We're not about enrollment. We're about completion. Graduation rate. Um, Graduation you know, rate. Drives the whole 12 hours. The whole thing matters yep. now. Yep. Um, and it matters specifically because well, if you look at the formula, it's weighted towards certain socioeconomic and demographic groups as well. Um, and so, so those things change behavior. I'm a big believer that policy does change behavior. Ultimately. People are creatures of their compensation plan. Well, That's usually what I say. Exactly, <laughs> so and people are going to respond to the things that people are holding them accountable to, mm -hmm. right? Uh, sure. What gets measured matters, mm -hmm. and that's what gets reported. So I think the 2 plus 2, I think strengthening college credit plus, there's some challenges around how we fund it right now. Um, I know superintendents are sensitive to that. I get that. Um, there's some other ways I think we can do college credit plus, create a separate appropriation line item for textbooks, for example, so it's not a deduct out of the foundation formula the for, sure. for K-12. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of things there. Uh, I think in the region we should uh, think about creating kind of an intermediary relationship among existing entities. We don't need another entity. We don't need another 501c3. What we need, though, is for people who are in this space now to come together in some sort of a, almost like a confederation of sorts. So there's a one-stop shop maybe for employers. And employers can look to this group and say, wow, we can go there for maybe our talent management needs. We can go there for work-based learning opportunities. And so that there's a kind of a repository there for folks to go to because employers get hit up all the time for, I mean, there's more and more of my former colleagues in K-12 want their kids in internships. Well, there's a whole lot of things around that, but, but I don't think employers want a bunch of superintendents knocking on their doors as individuals trying to figure out how to do that. So there's got to be some sort of a more, a more collective yeah, approach. Okay. Yeah. So, so all the things we've talked about today have um, just, in my mind, I'm sensing that the opportunities that exist or will exist for our students shortly um, have just expanded. And, and there's just more and there will continue to be more. So I keep coming back to that student that we sit across the table from 
that high school student, that early high school student, and their parents, um, especially their parents. How do we best help them understand the options available to them and then help them decide on what's best for their child? When I think about my own schools, um, my, uh, my own kids' high school guidance counselors, you know, they're, they're a busy, busy group of people, and I'm not sure um, how how do we expect them to take this on and do individual counseling and help our kids? How, how are we going to help them make these decisions? Well, I, I just I don't know. I'm posing that to you. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't know yet. But that's a, could be something. It's kind of interesting that the, you know, as Steve was talking there, 99.9 percent .9 of the policymakers are all four-year graduates that are writing this policy. Maybe they need to bring some other people that have had some different pathways to the table. What changed Tri Rivers? when we made our significant shift was when we quit telling businesses what we do, we asked them what they need. Yeah. And we started responding to the business and industry needs. Mm -hmm. And we found out we didn't have the right equipment, we didn't have the right training, because those same businesses had donated the obsolete, worn out equipment to the Career Center for a tax write-off, and we were training on that. Right. And we found out there was a reason why we weren't matching up. So we made a change. We made a drastic change and we went and started saying, what is it specifically you need? And we started replicating exactly. We had to drop some programs. We had to change some things. We had to make sure that students were given an opportunity for a living wage, not just living wa minimum wage. And we needed to really change what we're talking about career. We had to add more college level courses. We had to spend money on College Credit Plus. Some districts that are tight don't advertise it a lot. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that that's, and guess what? Those are in our poorest communities. And if you want to see a statistic, look at what happens when students that have some college, when they graduate from high school, the completion rate nearly doubles that will graduate with a degree. So right. we need to start moving this. I can tell you exactly where what a high school's graduation rate and every, their test scores, everything's going to be, you just tell me their zip code. And I can run a formula and tell you what their, what their scores are going to be. Yet we spend millions and millions of dollars each year trying to sort and select and say which communities are better. They're not better. They, wealth makes a difference. They come to, you know, I was at one school district. Uh, we hoped to get them to know their letters and this that when they entered I left kindergarten and, and would be prepared to read. I was in another district where students came in kindergarten already reading. You know, there is a difference. Right? You know, early literacy, all that stuff, uh, opportunity uh, makes a difference. Now, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to keep the same policymakers at the table and continue to do that? Or are we going to really honor and maybe even ask parents, what is it you need? It's not one size fits all. I, I think parents, you know, I'll, I'll speak on their behalf. I think they're looking to be guided. They're looking for that information. They're looking for someone to help them sort through what these options are. And I'm, I'm just, I, I just am posing to the group. How, how do we best serve that community so that they can wrap their head around all the things that we've talked about? I mean, we're all knee deep in this. We know this well. So, Imagine the person who, who So I'll give you a, a real practical, because you're asking about a practical possibility of how we can better engage parents, better engage students. I said earlier about transforming the high school. 
Um, if you look at most high schools, they operate on a seven or eight period day, 50 minute periods. They look pretty much like they did 30 years ago. What company looks like they did 30 years ago? It just don't. So you have to challenge the how we use time. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example. Um, in my former role in, as superintendent, we built in advisory periods in, uh, in our, all our high school, our academies. This was time of the day where teachers met, and it was a cohort of, uh, of kids with the same teacher all four years. And they met and they talked about a variety of issues, but there was a curriculum around career development. And, and I, I'm old enough to remember the days when an individual career plan was mandated by the state for every child. Well, the state has come back to that kind of, sort of. They mandate it for quote-unquote at-risk kids who are demonstrated to be at-risk by sixth grade. Really? <laughs> Why aren't we mandating individual career plans for every kid? Because to be, uh, Mary Beth's point earlier on, this is about a career. It's not about college. College is a vehicle to get you to career for some. It's about a career. So, Take time in the day, structure a curriculum around this. These are counselors can't do it by themselves. They're so overburdened with testing requirements mm -hmm. and scheduling and all these other things. I'm a recovering high school principal. I remember those days. I remember giving the guidance counselor testing responsibilities. So, and the numbers don't add up anyway. I mean, you yeah. got four counselors for 2,000 kids. Well, it just say, doesn't one, add up. One to 500, so I you have to figure a different average. way to use human capital in your organization sure. in order to get the information in the hands who need it. That's one way, it's not the way but it's a way to do that. I'd like to brag a little bit on Mad River Local Schools, a district where I spent five, five years as career tech director. Um, we were a K-12 district, so it was a little bit easier. We had a captive audience um, in one district as opposed to a career center serving multiple districts. But we established what Steve touched on earlier, that continuum of career exploration and experiences for students, starting very, very broad as early as kindergarten, and then as they moved up through the, the grades, they got more and more focused. At Stebbins High School, there at that time, and I know the leadership continues to invest in a similar pathway, so I really commend them for that. But students took a very broad career exploration course in the ninth grade, um, chose from one of four at the time, very broad foundational courses in the 10th grade, uh, excuse me, career exploration in the ninth grade, foundation course in one pathway in the 10th grade. Some students could fit two in. And then they could go into the career tech programs that Stebbins operated themselves, or they could continue on that traditional, more general education path. But they had by that time, as Steve said, I don't remember the term you used, but they had figured out where their natural talents and abilities were, you know, what tripped their trigger. And throughout that continuum, K through 12, they were learning about, all right, if this is what really gets me excited, what are the career options and what levels of education, levels of education, and what pathways through that education are available? Now, in the Dayton area, Sinclair Community College was our premier partner in that. And I know that Columbus State is a similar partner to many school districts in the Columbus region. So to me, that was kind of nirvana, honestly. We had a wonderful system set up for the students in a, you know, a 3,600-student district, but it worked. Our, our uh, let me think. Our high school dropout rate in the ninth grade, that would have been in 2000. Gosh, the years get away from you, don't they? No, it would have been in 1998. The high school dropout rate in the ninth grade was about 40%. We turned that around, and really, we cut it, I believe it was down to as low as 15%. So for a small urban district, I mean, that worked miracles. But it helped kids and parents to understand 
why does school even right. matter? And then what's available for me if I do complete high school? And that was our goal was to help and them build those aspirations. Integrated with work based learning. Yes. The other piece yes. I should mention is teacher externships mm-hmm. in, in our compre- comprehensive, mm-hmm. having businesses be willing to open up their yep. their place to a yeah. teacher externship. Um, and get, Sinclair worked to, with us to on Kim's that. Yeah. Earlier point about teachers are really the people who talk to kids the most in that yeah. high school setting. And when you can improve their knowledge base about what the workplace looks like now, what's required in the workplace, mm-hmm. that just helps with the conversation. Right, right. I think it's a very multifaceted problem. And so when there's no silver bullet, and exactly. I think as I'm sitting here trying to find the silver bullet, I can't give that to you. I think first and foremost, and Steve alluded to this, we have to go back to what this what message are we sending from the state level, from all of the, whether it's the policy, the legislation, whether it's our report cards, all of those kind of things send a message to the community and to parents and to students about what's important, what is important, what is the only pathway to success. And, and as, as much as we all put forth energies into our um, communication with our communities, targeting. Uh, I know in our area we have districts that look very different, and so we target according to that district in terms of the information and the reaching out. But sometimes it's very difficult to combat what is going on legislatively, Ohio Department of Education, all of those things. It, it's hard to go against what they're saying. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing, there's a disincentive for districts to send students to the career centers. In many cases, they look at it as losing money. So if you're getting money based on a student amount, you're losing money. So so there are multiple pieces behind the scenes that create a disincentive. If I'm a person at a home school and, you know, I, I want to save my jobs for my colleagues as well. And although that may not be it's not something that's just directly out there. There are a lot of pieces that come into play. So I wish I could give you an answer. Um, I think there, but I think we've got to do a lot to change the messaging, but there are a lot of places where that messaging has to change. And Kim, you mentioned an example, but in the country, is there a prototypical area of the country or prototypical district, someone that's really getting it right and has bona fide measurements that you guys look at? Honestly, Ohio is one of the top that has a, a, a thriving career tech. You know, Oklahoma, Ohio, Texas. We're right there at the top uh, that actually has this type of opportunity school choice for students. Uh, but as you were, Mary Beth, as you were talking, there's no silver bullet, but I can guarantee you it's not going to be top down. It's going to have to be engaging parents, school leaders, and stuff, and actually in this policy, we get policies all the time that actually get us further away from the target. And we go, man, who did they ask about this? Uh, whether it be from the legislature or ODE. I think that is critical, that before some of those things are implemented, that we really look, ask the field, what would the impact? Is this getting us closer or further? And I know everybody's on a tight timeline, but if we really say we're about kids, then we'll ask, go down and see how it impacts the student before we write these policies. Uh, uh, and some of the testing is out of control, uh, the amount of time we're spending. And uh, I'm all for higher standards. Hold me accountable. 
but for that student that that is not the way they learn, what are we going to do for them? Are we going to continue to tell them they're a failure? Or are we going to find their unique skills and abilities and honor it? How many times do you hear about these people that drop out of college to start their own company, these entrepreneurs, the ones that think differently? And we think it's just uh, rare. It's not rare. It's just that they finally get the, you know, they just said, I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a follower. We always think of those students as the ones who, um, those that get school, you know. And so the measure of what school measures, some students are perfectly designed to excel at that. And then others, their, their skills and abilities, their interests and their talents aren't. In, they, they don't exist in a way that are measurable on a report card. And so sometimes those kiddos go through school and they, they don't ever have that chance to shine. And so that is that I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I see those students You're sometimes. Kim, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you want to. Entrepreneurship usually isn't in the curriculum. Yeah, right. To your uh, point, yeah. Nick, I would, I would agree with Chuck that Ohio is. It is in college, though. I'm sorry, Kim. Yeah. The, um, but because we have an infrastructure in place that is already so strong with our high schools, our career centers, our community colleges, and four-year institutions, I think that by not continuing to work at this problem, and there is no perfect answer, but by not continuing to work at it, we have the most to lose. So I, I so appreciate this forum that allows us to identify the strengths we have in Ohio, but then also the fact that we've got a lot to work toward um, and a lot to maximize the... Uh, and, and we have template. exemplars. I mean, every one of these folks are involved in an exemplar program. If we could, if we could aspire to say th that's what it could look like, the question is, how do we get it to scale? And that, that's really the question. And because it's, it's being done, it's just random acts of improvement right now. school, but the model that we have so that we can have a world-class welding center, um, auto mechanic center, this or that, where students can walk out with that. You know, I serve, uh, you know, nine different school districts have an opportunity to send their students to get that high-level training and, you know, college credit and those industry certifications that save them thousands of thousands. That's good for the community. That's good for the parents. That's good for, uh, you know, the whole way and it gets them that start that they can go right into the community college setting and some of those. And, and we just, Ohio was so lucky with Governor Rhodes and his vision when he started it, looking at the workforce and making sure there were colleges. Look how lucky we are with lo quality local colleges and state colleges and universities, all within an easy drive of every part of Ohio. We're so lucky, and, and 49 career centers spread out. We have the resources that other states would love to have. And so, although we have our issues, we have the infrastructure for the solution. All right, well, I'd like to thank each of you for participating today in this round table. And I think your, what you shared will give uh, this audience a, a great chance to consider uh, how they're going to, to serve their families well and how they can be part of the community um, so that we can create great things going forward as well. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.